I'm hanging out with Oliver Dixon. I genuinely don't know how to introduce you because like who do I, who do I introduce you as? What do you do in life? Like you know a lot of people. I introduce mean, me as your friend. <laughs> okay, Oliver, my friend. Am I not your friend? Oliver, how are you doing? I'm good, how are you? <laughs> I'm okay, thank you. How have the past few weeks been? I haven't seen you. Horrible. Why what's up? Um Coronavirus is what's up. That's that's what's up. Coronavirus is what's going on, and it's okay. been horrible. Um, I work in the in the gig economy, oh, I see. right? So, yeah. and the gig economy took the hardest knock mm. over the like the last month, and even before then, um, there was uh, you know it was we were sort of just starting the year. Yeah. If you if you really think about it, like my first gig this year. Was the budget speech in the state of the nation, which was last month. Okay. And just as I got back from Cape Town, South Africa got its first coronavirus case. Remember that happened at the start of mm. at the start of of March. Yeah. So we yeah, back, yeah yeah. So at the start of March, we've been in this situation, yeah. and since then, events after events after events have been cancelled, um, and I am on the suffering end of, of that. Um, so that's that's why the last couple of weeks haven't been okay. Yeah. Um, but I kind of knew we would get here. I was broadcasting radio in December, right? So you were very much aware of what's going on. I was other very very much not other like... countries, just just China. Okay. At the time okay. it was um, in China they declared a state of emergency in Wuhan province in December, like the whole the whole no sorry in January. The whole province went under lockdown. So remember, the Chinese New Year happens happens in January. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it doesn't happen at the same, same time, time as ours. Yeah. So it was kind of a big deal mm. when the Chinese New Year got extended, because mm. during the Chinese New Year, the Chinese markets didn't trade. Yeah. Right. And so the Chinese New Year celebrations got extended and postponed and extended and postponed because they couldn't, the people couldn't celebrate in China because of the coronavirus. So in the news. I was covering that and I remember I was on radio that entire week with one of my colleagues at, at Prime Media, Arabila Kumere, he's like a business news reporter. Yeah. And we spoke about this almost every day, almost every day and uh, on air and we were talking about the impacts the markets were taking. So the yeah. financial impacts, I saw that in January already. The financial impacts on which markets? On the global markets. Okay. So if anything, if China sneezes, the world catches a flu, as That's we now true. quite literally know about that. <laughs> um, but we we saw, for instance, the rand started suffering. The dollar wasn't doing too well. Uh, the you know the RMB, the Chinese RMB, wasn't doing too well. Yeah. So we, I saw all of those things, the signs early on. And coronavirus wasn't a conversation just yet in South Africa. We didn't think it would get here. And I remember in January it started spreading to South Korea. Mm. And it started Patient spreading. No the long before Page in 31. Like South Korea was cool up until that idiot went to a church thing, right? It was like a revival or some shit yeah. like that, right? It, South Korea had everything under control until that idiot decided to go to church. Mm. Um, and then that's kind of what happened. Yeah. So South Korea had already had it under control, but South Korea is, an, is, is, is a neighboring country to China. Mm. So the movement between South Korea and China is. It's like, 
it's on the scale of the movement between South Africa and Zimbabwe, if not higher, you know. So obviously people were gonna it was gonna spread into South Korea very quickly. Yeah. And so it has. And then South Korea blew up and then they handled it really quick fast. Mm -hmm. So we only started panicking in February, kind of, but not even because we haven't had a single case. And then the first week of March we had our first case. Mm. And then but shit I think became also bad. With, with the first case and um at the time when it was reported, I think there was some extent of negligence. And this is my Wow, opinion. this coffee is horrible. Shit. <laughs> uh, my opinion is that there was some form of negligence with um, the people from Italy that were allowed in the country because at that point, and I, I kept saying this on my personal Twitter account, we were very much aware of the fact that there was this epidemic or pandemic or whatever yeah. that is going on in other countries and we are not precluded from um, experiencing it, you know what I mean? So I think. At the time when that person was let in, the country was very much away. And there was just like that one person at the airport who didn't do their job, you know. And as some people have come to see... Not really. I mean, the the, pers the people at the airport were doing their jobs, right? This guy was asymptomatic. Yeah, this guy was asymptomatic. Okay. Which means that he showed absolutely no signs of it. And remember how, how, how airports test for these things, how they quarantine essentially, yeah. is... They just check your temperature. That's it. That's the That's best true. they can do. And if you're not showing any symptoms, if you aren't even sick yet, mm. your temperature is not going to reflect that, right? So the airport people weren't. I think what you said in the first instance, I think that's where we dropped the ball. Mm. The fact that we knew that South Korea, China, and Italy, and at the time as well, yeah. Iran. Because, Iran? Yeah, Iran. Yeah, because even at the time, before we even had our first patients, mm. Iran's deputy minister of health already had coronavirus. Like Iran oh, was. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Iran I think you was shared the, something on it on your socials. Yeah, Iran was the fourth biggest hit country, mm. and they overnight became the second biggest hit country because. So we knew those four countries were yeah. were uh, hard hit, right? Yeah. We knew about Italy. We knew about China. We knew about South Korea. We knew about Iran. I think. At the time, we should have already had the travel ban mm, on, on Italy and all of that. The question though is, uh, was it going to be effective? And I think not. Because here's what happened. The people who came here weren't tourists coming to tour here. They were, they were South Africans coming home, you know? So I think, what, I think they, if we had identified Italy as a high-risk country, those people would have immediately gone into quarantine. Do you get what I'm saying? And, and 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 I think that's. Uh, but I think we we are being slightly unfair to pin every case we have on what happened with the Italian tour group because mm -hmm. I don't think because there were other people who came here from Portugal, from Germany, from. Uh, that's true. You know, so that's there were other true. tourists. I agree with your with your sentiments in that regard. Um, what are we on now? What, 709 cases? Nine, yeah. Right? It's and, just the 25th of March. And it's just the 25th of March. Yeah. It's like in the morning. It's like, sorry, it's 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And we're sitting on 709 cases. Yesterday we had 502 mm. cases. Mm. But um, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying um, about patient zero who wasn't showing any symptoms and who thought, I'm okay, my temperature's fine, let me go and integrate with the world. I think that's how it happened. I just think of the 500 and whatever people, one of them 
probably didn't know because yeah because there were 10 of them right and that's also just reported cases how yeah. many people are roaming around unreported not feeling any signs of sickness not feeling feverish or whatever you know their temperatures are okay yeah so, yeah yeah, mm. yeah i mean if we if, if we're being real about this right mm -hmm. it takes what seven days about this is what i heard last time yeah. it takes about seven days to short start showing any symptoms mm -hmm. so if you contract it today I'm think about the um, in, for the next seven yeah. days do you get what i'm saying it takes about it takes on average about seven days mm -hmm. so for the next seven days you're going to interact spread this thing as yeah. fuck and, and you're going to think you're going to take you're going to think that you are taking the necessary precautions because you can contract it in any way i mean i saw a video where a lady was wearing gloves and she was wearing gloves and i mean according to her she took all the precautions but at one point she scratched her face and i don't think she realized at that point that i'm doing this and i'm not supposed yeah, to yeah right so because i mean scratching your face is such a it's ordinarily such an innocuous thing yeah. you just do it all the time i do yeah. it all the time um so it, these look the reality is uh taking all the precautions doesn't mean you're not going to get it it just lowers your chances of getting it right you could be the cleanest healthiest most careful and cautious person and you can still catch this thing all right but i think um and if we're going to be real real about it the vast majority of it has nothing to worry about. Why do you say that? Think about it, like... And who is the vast majority? Which demographic does this vast majority cover in, in, while you're answering this, the first question? So, the vast majority of people. So think about it like this. If you're, you're, if you're 25, you're fairly healthy. Mm -hmm. You'll get coronavirus and two weeks you'll be fine mm. right in two okay. weeks just stay home you'll be fine it's the elderly and frail it's bitch. the elderly and frail but also people who are immunodeficient mm. they are the people who have to worry about like uh, in south africa we have a lot of immunodeficient people so think about every person who has tb in this country which by the way the numbers are quite high Think about every person who we have HIV. we have eight million people who have HIV in this country. Right? Um, half a million of them are adults in Johannesburg. So those are the people that we should be worried about the most. And of course elderly people and kids. So if you're a generally healthy person, you're older than say 12 years old and you've drank all your Scott emulsion and you're younger than 60 years old, you could, you could. Don't you've got nothing to worry about okay you've got little to worry about and if you don't already have a compromised immune system right you'll be yeah. okay but and 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 i think that's the vast majority of us we're a country of 60 million people but now the problem in in that for me anyway is that um you might be okay but you are a carrier yes and, and you could infect other people yeah right and this is why it's important to just stay home stay the fuck home don't go anywhere uh because you might be okay but what if you come into contact with someone who is immunodeficient yeah. then you're gonna you're gonna put you literally putting their lives at risk yeah. quite literally you we know? are we are going into a lockdown this coming friday um literally in a day and um i mean it's all good and well for some people who are going to be like yo at least you know we get time to rest and obviously i'm going to touch on the other socio-economic issues that the lockdown is going to have maybe i should start with the socio-economic issues and then we'll just move into the issues that um the virus 
is gonna present for the world at large going into the future. Socioeconomically, a lot of people are worried about the fact that um, it might not take 21 days, the lockdown might not actually be 21 days and it might be a month. A lot of people are saying that eventually there's going to be lootings of shops um, when people who live hand to mouth are unable to make ends meet and they are unable to, for example, buy bread. Those are the people that are going to start looting shops. Mm. What are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're a poor country, right? And, and where crisis hits, it exposes the true fractures of poverty. I think all along we've been able to mask it sufficiently and efficiently. But think about it like this. I, I think the looting ideas perhaps will happen because of opportunistic crime, not because people truly want to loot. So if we think about it, if we looked at our history of looting, it is Nyaupe it is, it is boys who see a moment of chaos and then they realize, oh, it's a moment of chaos, here's my opportunity to loot. So a lot of the looting we see happening here are opportunistic crime. And those criminals would want to loot anyway. So I don't think the looting we'll see will be of a special kind. No, I don't. But think about it. I, I think, to be quite honest, so we have, what, 18 million South Africans who are on social welfare, mm -hmm. right? 18 million people who will still receive their social welfare grants. Yeah. Those people will, to some extent, live like they've been living all along. Mm -hmm. They'll still be able to buy bread. And the fact that you save and pick and pay and spa will still be open means that they'll still be able to go and buy bread, right? Sure. So it's not as though they're in a different situation. The people who will be knocked the hardest are the people who are getting retrenched um, and the people who are who, who, who are in jobs where it is a pay-as-you-go type of situation, yeah. right? pay-as-you-work. So if you don't work, you don't get paid and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's where perhaps some of the interventions by government are important. They're going to gonna go a long way, but they're not going to go long enough away mm -hmm. so some of like the interventions government has put in place is um, government is trying to get a little bit more so we're in a time of crisis the yeah. economy is not a standstill so any response to that would be a, a response of stimulus so so there isn't an increased amount of money in the economy but where that money is determines the impact of it so even the most bright brightest of economists are always telling us that hand, money in the hands of people is better off than money in the hands of government, mm. right? So government is trying to release as much of the money it has in its hands mm. to get it into the hands of people and businesses. For instance, if you earn six and a half thousand rand or less, mm -hmm. the government is trying to get 500 rand more into your hands through some sort of tax rebate, yes, right? So SARS is going to give... Yeah. Now, the, the struggle is you kind of already have to have a job to get that 500 rand, and the people who don't have jobs perhaps need it most, and they're not going to get it. There, there'll always be hiccups in the system, but at least there's more money going into the hands of people. So yeah. now, but think about it like this. If you earn six and a half K, uh, which is like 70% of our working working class anyway, right? So if you earn six and a half K, uh, you are, you're spending money on petrol or transport, right? And you're spending money on, I think, so, I, I read once that middle-class South Africans spend about 40% of their salaries on average on transportation, and this is I because of that. yeah, and this is because of course how 
the spatial planning of this country is. Do you know, uh, apartheid spatial planning still impacts the economy. So poorer people spend longer times to travel to work and therefore spend more money traveling to work, right? It's crazy that the average worker or the lowest earning worker of a company spends more money getting to work than the CEO of the company. Quite literally. The CEO lives 15 minutes away, right? If you live 15 minutes from your job and you drove 15 minutes to your job and back, you're spending far less money than the person who has to get on three taxis. Do you get it? So it's crazy. And it's just like, um, it's just like um, the closer you live to work, I mean, obviously, you're going to get lazy and you're going to start getting to work late because you've got the advantage that you live closer to work. But it's like energy saved. At some point, it goes from you're saving resources to get to work um, to saving energy. So I, for me personally, I think if I live, lived closer to work, I'd be less tired. You'd be less tired. And I'd be more productive. More productive and just happier. True. Like, Joburg traffic True. is like yeah. the number one thing of making me unhappy, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the point I'm making is this. So, you earn 6,000 Rand. Let's assume you spend 2,000 Rand a month on getting yourself to work and getting your kids to school. Because yeah. you also have to pay transport money for the kids. Mm. Let's say you spend 2,000 Rand. For the next 21 days, you won't be spending that kind of money. So, you have slightly more disposable income. Sure. And on top of that, government is getting 500 Rand back into your into hands. Your pockets, yeah. So, I think, firstly, I think the working class will be slightly better cushioned. Mm. The unemployed people are who I'm worried about. Then government is trying, small businesses obviously will be the hardest hit and small businesses are the biggest employer uh, in, in the economy, right? So, um, and a lot of people are like, what do you classify as a small business, uh, small to medium enterprise? The definition is quite clear. If you make less than 50 million a year, you're a small to medium, small to medium enterprise. So a number of things are happening there. Small businesses are being bailed out. But we Shout must be clear. Yeah, we must be clear. I mean, the money available is not enough, but we must be clear what this bailout, who exactly is being bailed out. I've been seeing a lot of concerns about that the small businesses that are being bailed out are not the most vulnerable people because Bomama, who sell fruit and veg, are not being bailed out. They're part of the informal sector. And if you listen to the president's speech or even read it, you realize that ways are being figured out for them to be bailed out. Now I got some ideas about how I think it might happen. I could be wrong, I'm not in government, I don't speak to these people, so I don't exactly know what the models are. And we know the models are still being developed at the moment. But there will be an effort to get money to hawkers in the informal sector. Even if it means personally going to the It's going to be tough, right? Because a lot of these people don't have bank accounts. They don't have financial statements. Do you get what I'm saying? So how do you get money to them? And I think these people have a close relationship with their cities. So I think the cities will, will play a big role. Contrary to, contrary to what people believe, that the hawkers in Johannesburg don't just rock up and start selling. A lot of them have to go to metro uh, to get a permit. You have to get an informal trader's permit, right? A lot of them have permits. Do you get, I know that to be the case here in Joburg. I know it to be the case in, uh, in Cape Town. I don't know about other cities, right? It might not be as good in other cities. But yeah. in Joburg, the vast majority of them have permits. So that means uh, Metro Police has their contact details. It means that uh, economic development or the city of Johannesburg has their contact details, ha- knows how to get in touch with them, knows how to track them. So cities are going to play a big role in terms of being an intermediary to get the money to them. So how much money is available? At the moment, we're looking at 
7.15 billion and if you add the 50 million that I heard this morning old mutual contributed and if you add sorry an additional 150 million which Natim Tetwa had just made what? available for the arts uh, for workers in the arts Are you yeah yeah just like a few oh, hours ago wow. okay a few hours I, also, ago. I also wanted to ask about that like um, like you said at the beginning of our chat that people in the arts industry or in the creative space are going to be the most hard hit yeah um, I'm interested in finding out how that's going to happen how you it's not a lot of money it's, it's, it's a hundred so here's how what they're doing it's 150 million mm -hmm. for the arts they so what what they what he has committed to is to paying artists mm -hmm. who have been booked ah, and their bookings have been cancelled okay. as a result of this okay. but it must be artists that were booked for events sponsored by government or the department, right? Mm -hmm. And if we're going to be honest, it's a lot of artists. For instance, Makufe okay. is a state-sponsored event, okay. right? Think yeah. about all the artists there. Is that Jazz Festival? Jazz Fest is also in part sponsored by the government, right? So think about that. So there are most events that happen on a large scale can't happen without government sponsorship. So typically government sponsors for that, right? Uh, but if you think about an event such as um, Castle Light Unlocked, which has been postponed, that's not sponsored that by government. Sponsored, yeah. That's completely private. So maybe Castle has to maybe think about at least paying the local artists. Do you get what I'm saying? The I local mean, artist were, or the supporting act. If because if you're being honest, else, Cardi B already received the deposit. That's true. To con to confirm the booking, they had to pay a that's deposit. True. Cardi B already has a deposit, and so I mean, um, she's not suffering. I think you're well versed in a lot of things, but I think you might know a clause called a vis major clause. What's that? Um, Oliver, for someone who's well I don't know versed what that is. In a lot of I'm things, not a lawyer. I am you're a lawyer. <laughs> so a vis major clause um, is usually a clause that's in a contract that stipulates that in the event of natural disaster, um, where both parties are unable to perform their obligations in terms of a contract, um, neither parties will be held liable for their inability to perform so in cardi b's instance i'm guessing if the attorney who drafted um the contract between cardi and uh castle light has some sort of sense he or she would have put this clause in the agreement which in this case to put it um to make sense of it realistically cardi um will then no longer be held liable for inability to come and perform in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, no so certain. So Castle Lights won't be able to say, yeah, but um, okay. You no, know. I mean, I'm not, I'm and not she, saying that they. She, on the other hand, won't be able to hold us liable. Us uh, castle, liable. Castle, castle yeah. Light liable. So she won't be able to hold Castle Lights liable because of yeah. the intervening uh, impossibility. So. Yeah, true, but Cardi has already been paid. You think so? Deposit. Oh, well, There's yeah. absolutely no way you can book and confirm a booking with an act as big as Cardi okay. B without deposit a deposit has. Deposit in fact, cheese. they had to pay the deposit just to use her name. Do you get what I'm saying? So yeah. she, the deposit has been paid. Don't you remember in 2000 and maybe 2011, 12? I was young, Oliver. I was, I was young, young too. <laughs> maybe 2011, 12. Mm -hmm. there, the ANC youth, no, sorry, not the ANC youth thing. The city of Tuane had this event and they booked Nicki Minaj for it. She was going to be the headline act. I can't act. remember this. Yeah, really? it was going to be a festival. <laughs> yeah, I forgot what it was called, man. And um, arrangements didn't go accordingly. 
Really? Yeah, arrangements didn't happen. Um, because because of corruption, it was a city-led thing. And of course, we know where government is involved, yes. corruption happens. Yeah. But at the time the event was called off, Nicki Minaj had already been paid more than 2 million rand. Okay. They paid her $200,000. They paid her $200,000. Um, in fact, and then what happened was... Uh, <laughs> what happened was um, the ANC Youth League then protested. They protested against Nicki Minaj. What? Yeah. Get they said Nicki Minaj must return the money. Nicki's people just wrote a letter like, what the fuck? What yeah, so mean? these things happen. But anyway, so we're looking at a total of 2.75 billion rand. We know that government seeded 150 million. We know into this thing called the Solidarity Fund. Mm. We know there's a grant available of half a billion rand for the Department of Small Business. We know that uh, Department of Tourism has a grant of 200 million. Mm -hmm. And we know that the Rupert and Oppenheimer family respectively each um, donated what a billion each a billion each correct. right um and money still flowing in i know old mutual this morning announced mm. 50 million so if the private sector comes to play that fund may 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 become much more than it currently is where is all this money going and i mean i know you you've said that the money is going to be trickled down into small businesses but say small businesses have been catered to where does the remainder of the money go i don't think there will be a remainder of the money there will be there'll always be a shortage so there will always be a, there won't be a surplus trust me on this there will not be a surplus mm -hmm. uh, so small businesses will have to apply put in an application i know at least with the department of small business development you put in an application and in your application uh, if your application is reviewed and approved mm -hmm. um, you will receive grant funding and i know the department of small business uh, kept it at 500,000 rand per small business so that's what? half a million yeah no right way, yeah. i'm dead serious i'm dead serious it was yeah. all in the speech bro it i mean i read the, the speech yeah. well and the like, supporting document you would yeah, have had to you, read that yeah you're breaking it down yeah you know, yeah so and then tourism has 200 million only for businesses affected in the tourism space affected by so the like travel bans levels backpackers levels backpackers i don't know who's levels but this shout out to <laughs> shout out to you're or the so guy so or the guy in villagazi street who does the bicycle thing that's level oh that's, that's level, level. <laughs> Shout out to Lebu, yeah, so he could he could uh, apply to the Department of Tourism and they'll wow. give him money. And this is because tourism depends on people coming in and out of the yeah. country, right? So Europe is a big market, China's a massive market, America's yeah. a massive market, um, and even the African market is massive. And all of yeah. those countries now have been travel banned. So, yeah. so there's money to relieve them. It, it's never going to be enough. There'll always be Do a shortage, but it's something. Do you think economically we are ever going to recover? Like, no. Obviously, not get to the point where we were pre um, all the sanctions, the travel bans, and whatever. But are we somewhat going to recover as a stable country? Because I we spoke, are also yeah. going into a recession. I spoke to an economist yesterday, mm -hmm. and they and I and I asked a question simply, just how long do you think it will take us to recover? Mm -hmm. We were in a global recession in 2008. You remember yeah, that, remember right? That. The economic meltdown, yeah. the global economic meltdown. It took South Africa about seven, eight years to recover from no that. Ways. Yeah, our economy was growing at six percent. Yeah, bro, under Thabo Mbeki's presidency, we I'm were growing. Too young to remember that. I, you and I are practically the same age, dog. I was young too. We are. It's, it's 
neither here nor there. Um, so what does that mean for? So we were growing. Person? I mean, we were growing at six percent, right? Yeah. I think now we're growing at like. If you listen to Tito Mboweni in 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 February, he said his projected growth for this year was projected downward to 0.9 percent. Are you serious? That's not even one percent. Right. <laughs> Dude, and Dang, we and Gina. we are currently in a recession. This is without mm-hmm. coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We are currently in a recession. Um, and then another guy, Colin Coleman, home your mind. He used to be the um, he was the he's the former CEO of Goldman Sachs yeah. in Africa, mm-hmm. and he lectures African markets at Yale University. Mm-hmm. He projected our economy is going to contract by 2.5 percent. Not. You- Sorry, not by 2.5%. Our economy is going to contract downwards to 2.5%. So that's a contraction of about 3 plus percent. So to put it in perspective, in America, Congress has just unleashed a 2 trillion rand, sorry, a 2 trillion dollar budget. In rands, at 18 rand to the dollar, we're looking at what, 36, yeah, 36 trillion rand. That's how much America has un- unlocked as a stimulus package for their economy. And we only have, what, $150 million, yeah. right? Think about the scale, yeah. the difference in scale. Boss. America predict, they said, we're in a crisis mm-hmm. and we're going to have an unemployment rise up to 30% as a result of the crisis. That's what they're predicting, right? Okay. And to fix that, they said, to fix 30% unemployment in their country, mm-hmm they need a two trillion dollar budget now our our unemployment if we're being honest about it is sitting at 40 percent okay um that's how we wrap up the first part of this conversation regarding the coronavirus and what the future holds for you so do stay tuned for the second part of this conversation